kingdom convictions in captivity, I, I thought this was going to be the last message, but there's at least two more coming <laughs> after this. And, and I'm just, I, I hope that the truth is being useful. This is, this is going to sound a little repetitive from probably back to the second or third message, but it highlights it from a, it highlights a very important point from a different perspective that I want to deal with tonight. So Daniel chapter 6, we're going to be in chapter 6 at least one more week, the Lord willing. Daniel chapter 6, the first three verses. Okay, let me, let me say something. Kingdom convictions. God's truth doesn't change regardless of your geography and regardless of your circumstances. The truth does not change. Period. And what was true when Moses, what was true when Jesus was on the earth, is, is true today. God's truth is timeless. But we've also understood that you can have the right position in the wrong way. And Jesus the same Jesus that drew very hard lines on certain issues, he also, he also drew this line. They that worship him must worship him not just in truth, but in spirit. God doesn't just care about the position. He cares about how you have it, how you have the position. So Daniel 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes which should be over the whole kingdom. If you remember in chapter 5, they, Belshazzar was killed, and now there's been a transfer of power. It's the Medo-Persian Empire. The Babylonian Empire has been done away with. And so he establishes this infrastructure. In verse 2, and over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, Look, I don't know how long Darius was in power, but based on the text, this transition happened relatively quick, just in terms of they take power from the Babylonians, our kingdom is now in charge, I'm setting up leadership structure, this Daniel is someone that I need his influence in my kingdom. So you have a, get the structure, you have the kingdom. And over the kingdom, you have the king. But between the king and the kingdom, you have 120 princes. And then you have three presidents. And the first of those is Daniel. You know who this sounds like? It sounds like Joseph. Second most powerful man in the, in the kingdom. And so he says that the princes might have accounts unto them and the king should have no damage. Verse 3. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes, because an excellent spirit was in him. I love this phrase. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. I'm telling you, man, this brother was extraordinary. His convictions, it's part of it. But we don't read about convictions in chapter 6. No, he wouldn't be where he is in chapter 6 without the convictions. But that is not what the king noticed. 
And what allowed his convictions to have influence on a kingdom was not the convictions themselves. I hope you're tracking me here. So I love this title. I'm actually really excited about this title. Crustiness is not allowed. Crustiness, there is no room in the kingdom. I'm not talking about the Medo-Persian kingdom. I'm talking about his kingdom. Because even then, Daniel recognized there's a bigger kingdom that I'm a part of. And in that kingdom, there is no room for crustiness. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. How many of you, if you're offered coffee, prefer to have tea? No, raise your hand. I want everybody to mark you. Here's my question. Why? Because it's whole and it's healthier and it's just better for you. Maybe. But you, I mean, like half a gallon of creamer and like two cups of sugar and one cup of coffee, that's pretty amazing. And it doesn't taste the same way in tea. And then just drinking coffee straight black. I like it that way too. I like it with frou-frou. I like it just straight out of the pot. Man, I'll put my head under the drip. And then I drink tea and I'm like, why? I don't know. You can come pray, sis, later. That's fine. Whatever. Anyway, we, because we're a church that wants to minister to everybody and not just an exclusive group, we have tea out in the foyer. That's, that's where I got these. And because I don't want to waste it, um, uh, I'm not going to open it. But this, you, know, you understand how tea works. And uh, unless you're going to make sweet tea that's then put on ice, it's pretty much pointless, unless you're sick, I guess. But you take the bag, you put it in a cup, and then you put hot water in there. And then you let it steep. You let the hot water slosh around. And maybe sometimes you'll set a plate over the cup. And you'll let the tea bag string hang out of the side. And every now and then you'll pick up the plate or the paper towel. And you'll just kind of stir it around. And what you're wanting is for that hot water to bring what's inside of the bag. You want it to bring it out. And to permeate the water, and then, according to Miss Bev, you can drink down those delicious flavors. Right, so, so get this. The hot water doesn't create what's in, the, what's in the tea bag. It just, it exposes it. It brings it out. So in our text, Darius is ruling, as we've already mentioned. There's this leadership team made up of 120 princes, and then over them, there will be three presidents. And over them, one of the presidents, Daniel, will rule. And the king was inclined. He preferred, he thought to, as it says in verse number three, he thought to set him over the whole realm. Now, we already understand this. Daniel is gifted from a young age at negotiating very tense situations. You look in chapter 1 and there's this situation where they're being told to eat this food. This is a violation of biblical conviction. God's truth doesn't change. But he doesn't go into their, he doesn't go in there raging and screaming and criticizing. He said, hey, put our conviction on trial just for 10 days. I might lose my head. I'm not asking you to lose your head. Just give me 10 days. And after 10 days, you be the judge of it. And he finds that they're better off. Their conviction's 
bear out that they have a positive effect. And so they remove the king's meat and they're able to eat that. And you find at the end of chapter one, the king found them to be 10 times better. Him and Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah found them to be 10 times better than all of the other ones that were brought out of the captivity. Then in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and he goes to his soothsayers, to his sorcerers, to his wise men. Hey, tell me what the dream meant. No problem. You tell me what the dream was, we'll tell you what it meant. That's what we do. But they couldn't, they couldn't tell the dream, and so there's this panic, there's this rage, this anger. Nebuchadnezzar wants to have all the wise men killed. There's no point if you can't tell me what I dreamed. And what the dream means. And so Daniel, being very composed, he asks, why is this so hasty? And, and he tells that to the man responsible for carrying out the execution of all the wise men. And he calms the situation and he seeks God. And God gives an answer and he brings the answer to the king. In the chaos of chapter 5, when Belshazzar is living in revelry and debauchery, we see Daniel, it's almost like he's faded into the background and as this kingdom has gotten increasingly more and more godless in the direction that they're going, we see, we, we see Daniel ready to speak the truth without vitriol, without anger, but with boldness and with clarity in a time when there was nothing but revelry and confusion. So you have Daniel from for decades being a talented and gifted leader. But that talent and those convictions and his giftedness under in high-pressure situations, that's not what stood out to Darius. Like, he had access to a lot of talented people. He's ruling over a vast kingdom, an empire that has swallowed up many great kingdoms. And he has access to the brightest and the greatest minds and accomplishments that are around. And yet, they're out of the 120 princes who would oversee the different regions or regions or provinces of the kingdom, and then the three presidents, there is something about Daniel. I wonder what it was. Aren't you thankful that the Bible gives us answers? There was an excellent spirit in him. Now, I want you to take note of a couple of things about Daniel at this point. Two things. Take note of these. Please get them in your brain. They're important to the, la- to the point. Number one, Daniel is not young. I put in my notes here at this point, the word not young, all caps. I did not say he's old. I didn't say that. But he's not young anymore. M- most agree that he is in or around his 80s at this point. A lot of times you see pictures, and and we'll deal with this next week when we actually deal with the event that unfolds in chapter 6. Most pictures that depict Daniel in the lion's den, they depict him as something of a middle-aged or a younger man full of strength. Uh, But he was actually, he probably had a few more wrinkles than that. He had lived his life for a long time. He was not young. I love it when I'm talking to folks in the Royal Heirs Sunday School class. Man, I love our Royal Heirs. And, and I, love, I love talking to groups of people in that age bracket like, man, pastor, I'm so old. You're not old. You may be less young. And I realize, man, I'm starting to catch up with that. I have a daughter in college and I'm 40. My kids think I'm old. And then I punch them in the face. I'm kidding about that. 
No, I, that, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that you're old, but here's what I am saying. You've lived life for a while. Many suns and moons have come and gone. You, you have seen a few different seasons in your life. You've experienced, you've lived some things. He's, he's been through, at least at this point, three different kings. And so he has been around a long time. Number two, so he's not young. Here's number two. He's been through a lot. He's had long years, and in those years, he has been through a lot. This isn't hard. You ready? Captivity as a teenager. How many of you have children that are 12 or older, between 12 and 18? Raise your hands. That's what we're talking about. So you think about your child, and you think about where the, the age that they are, and all of the desires that you have for them, and then you think about an army invading, and then either killing you or incapacitating you to the point that you're not able to protect your children. And this army comes in and carries them away into captivity, as God had warned by his prophets that would happen because they rejected him. And you're watching your children being marched off into the sunset, not knowing in your mind you're probably, if you're alive, you're probably never going to see them again. And then you think about being 13, 14, 15, however he, old he was. You think about going away and what he went through in those initial years and the, and the processes that were involved in turning the loyalty of young men away from their kingdom, away from their God, to this pagan system of thinking. You think about everything that went into that. And in, in, by his teen years, he's already been through more than a lot of people go through today. I'm not saying everybody, and I understand we've all have challenges, but that's a very unique challenge that he's gone through. And he goes through the whole stress of the diet dilemma. He, he goes through at different times the rage and the arrogance of Nebuchadnezzar. He deals with the ineptitude of the wise men. He deals with the, the wickedness of Belshazzar, and then this new kingdom comes onto the scene. And so you have these two factors, and, and please get them in your head. You have a lot of years that you've gone through and a lot of junk that you've gone through. Tell me about Daniel's life. A lot of years and a lot of difficulty. And we don't even know about it all. I'm sure there were good days. I'm sure there were good days. But we have recorded for us some pretty heavy days. And you know the nature of heavy days. They don't just come and go and you get over it. They affect you. They weigh on you. And uh, almost like we were praying for our brother about his wife, about Alyssa. That's something that's constantly in your mind and it weighs on you. And you've got to repeatedly take it to the Lord over and over again. God, would you help with this? Would you direct with this? Would you show mercy with this? And so here is this, here is this Daniel from the time he's a teenager until he's now in his, in his late 70s, early to mid 80s. He's somewhere in there. He has gone through a lot of years dealing with a lot of junk. And this is why this is so amazing. After all of this, he still has an excellent spirit. It's astounding. No, look, we just read over that phrase, he had an excellent spirit, and we're like, yeah, that's cool. And we don't think about the fact that he's lived seven or eight decades through very miserable circumstances at times. And now in his third or fourth king, 
This is what the king sees. This man has an amazing spirit. I want you to get this. I, I am not, again, there's always a danger. You hear what I'm not saying. Don't hear that. Because I've, I have preached strongly about having convictions. Now somebody say amen to that, please. In fact, go back and listen to last week's message if, you, if you're concerned about that. That one was extremely confrontational, but I want, I want you to get this, and I'm not abusing the text at all. He did not stand out to the king because of his convictions. No, he wouldn't be here without the convictions, but that's not what made him stand out. It was the spirit, the spirit that he had. Let me, let me give you a couple of statements. Convictions with an excellent spirit without convictions are deceiving Here's what I mean by that. You can have a great attitude, but if you don't draw any biblical lines, that doesn't actually help anybody. Like, I just want to give you a hug and support you. Okay, but you got to have truth to help people. But let me give you the other side of that. Convictions without an excellent spirit are enslaving. Far too many churches today major on the positions that they have to the neglect of the one they represent and accurately representing his spirit. And you know what the result is? Spiritual oppression. That's a true statement. And maybe you've never had to deal with that, but we have people that have had to deal with that. And where you, you had a position, you had a checked box that was ingrained in you over and over and over again with no regard for the things that Jesus said were most important. Okay, I, look, I get it. I know, I know you're tired and I'm not mad about that, but I'm, I cannot rush through this. What Jesus said is most important is not on the exterior. No, it's not on the exterior. You just saying the exterior doesn't matter. I never said that. God didn't say that. But I can tell you what matters most to God is found and rooted in your heart. It's enslaving. You know what Daniel had? He had amazing conviction under pressure, but he had an amazing spirit. He was not a compromising pansy, nor was he an arrogant Pharisee. In chapter 1, his spirit was, his spirit was committed to truth. In chapter 1, he was concerned for others that disagreed with him. In, in chapter 2, he was composed. In chapter 5, he was courageous. Here in chapter 6, we're going to see next week, the Lord willing, well into his later years. Excuse me, he was consistent with the way he lived his life. But I want you to get this, what separated him in, in this transition of power and when a king, when a ruler over a world empire, we're not, we're not talking about running an organization, we're not talking about running a state, we are talking about running a world empire. And when that infrastructure is being established and you find the 120 princes and then over them you set three presidents and then of all of that resource of, of human brilliance and human skill, the one that you pick is the one who has an um, not not because of his conviction because you're a pagan king you understand how 
Biblical convictions are not for the lost. You know what they need? They need to see the spirit of Jesus Christ. So many times we assault the lost like with this rule and this opinion and this preference. That's not going to save anybody. Who cares what your position is on that compared to theirs? I don't mean this in a nasty way, but what people think about a dress code or what people think about uh, entertainment or what people think about any other issue that you want to list, it's irrelevant if they don't know Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't die to give us rules. And the Pharisees and the whole Old Testament process just showed you can't keep enough rules to please him. You know what he died to do? He died to save us from our sins. What set him apart, what elevated him, I'm all, look, I'm almost, I'm almost there. What elevated him was his spirit. But wait, his spirit just didn't just elevate him. His spirit elevated everyone around him. You go back to chapter one. You remember the prince of the eunuchs? I'm going to lose my head. Now just give me a chance. Elevated. Ten times better. You go into chapter two. I'm going to kill all the, all the wise men. Daniel. Elevated. All the wise men. Elevated as well. No, this is good. Every time Daniel's convictions were put on trial... Every time Daniel's convictions were put to the test, he not only elevated himself, but everyone around him. You know why? Because he had the right kind of spirit. It's amazing. It's absolutely stunning. So here's the point. You have this guy, long years, lots of stuff. And you know what it brought out? An amazing spirit. That's what it brought out. You know what he had in chapter one? An excellent spirit. That's why he wasn't throwing a fit and screaming and yelling at people, because he had an excellent spirit. You know what it brought out when he was like 80? An excellent spirit. Come on, get it. You ready? Here's the statement. Here it is. I'm almost done with the statement. <laughs> you ready? What's outside of you should not determine what comes out of you. What's outside of you should not determine what comes out of you. We have a danger in churches, and, th and that is one of two things. Whether it's a lot of years or a lot of junk, we develop this sense that we are entitled to have a bad spirit. And God doesn't give us that license. Whether it's spoken or not, there's a mindset that the older you get or the more you've been through, the more you're allowed to be crusty. Okay, to our, to our young families, uh, I want you to hear me on this. And, and listen, this would be helpful if you would talk to your kids about this. I am thankful for, I'm just going to say it, and they understand my spirit. I'm in that class. I'm thankful for our not young people. Man, so, okay, somebody say amen to that. I'm thankful for the old folks. Wherever you draw that line and whenever you think a person becomes old, if you're 18, you think 32 is old. 
But then when you are 32, you realize, man, 50 don't seem that old anymore. And all you young families in your 20s that think I'm old, wait, it's coming. And when it comes for you, I will have zero sympathy. Just like Brother Pablo is going to laugh at me when I cry at my daughter's wedding because I laughed at him. I'm going to laugh at you when you're 40 and whining about it. And 50, like, get over it. No, I, I love our old people. I love our less young people. Learn from them. But can I talk directly to older folks? I'm just going to say, wherever that line, I'm not going to say a line because I'm sure to get in trouble there. Whenever you're like, man, I've been living a long time and I'm entitled, eh. I don't care how long you've lived. You are not entitled to have a bad attitude. I'll deal with this more next week, and it will be a message specifically about the length of his conviction and, and what in the positions that he had. I don't care how long you've lived. I don't care how much, you've know, how much you know. You know what? You, you, let, me, let me go ahead and, and talk about a couple of things. Man, there, there has been a common thing in churches, in churches like ours, with, with older folks criticizing younger generations. Hey, I, have, I have a question for you. Older generations, you're so critical of younger generations and their worth, work ethic and their habits and they don't value whatever it is you think they need to value. And oftentimes the criticisms have some merit. But, but let me ask you this, why are you always griping at everybody for getting on your lawn and having a bad attitude every time your back hurts because you think you're entitled because you've lived longer than everybody else? You say, what are you doing? I'm dealing with an attitude that can creep in. And listen, don't, don't ask me. You say, who are you talking about? Everybody. Everybody look at my eyes. I am not thinking of any one individual right here. Everybody make eye contact with me. Who did he write this for? God's people. And you can, you can pretend like this doesn't exist, but I happen to know that it does. And because we've lived longer, we feel like, well, I just shouldn't have to, and I don't have to put up with this, and I don't have to deal with this. No, it, it, it behooves younger generations. You need to respect and honor the saints of God that have lived with experience and can help you. But can I talk to the older generations for a moment? It behooves you to continue to accurately reflect Jesus Christ. And maybe instead of complaining, the, the, uh, complaining about younger generations, when's the last time you asked a younger generation out to eat? When's the last time, instead of just criticizing them all the time, you actually said, hey, help me understand some things. Help me understand why you think this way. Let me talk to you. Would you mind if I shared some of my experiences with you? What are you going through right now that I might be able to pray for you? And I'm afraid that we have, we have lost generations in part, and there's a lot of reasons, but we've lost generations in part because the older generations and sometimes even older pastors want to sit back here and say, well, that's not how it's going to be, and we're older, so we just get to say whatever we want to say and do whatever we want to do and just be critical of everybody that's younger than us because we can. The problem with that is it's not in Scripture. Hey, look, you say, man, you're, you're trying to run people off. Is that really what you think? You know what I love? You know what I love about this church? We have some Daniels. Let me go, let me go ahead and say it. Man, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not calling them old, but Miss Sandy and Miss Margarita 
I've been around the block a couple times. You know what I love? I, Miss Sandy called me. She, she sent me a text like, hey, can you call me real quick? Yeah, called her. She's telling me about how she just led somebody to the Lord. <laughs> love it. <laughs> it's so stinking awesome. Miss Margarita, oh, pastor, I tell people about this. I love it. You know what that's called? It's called being a Daniel. They hurt. No, they're tired. They don't have as much energy as they used to have. But you know what they're doing? Whatever they can. It's a blessing. And, I, and I've seen them. I've seen, I've seen them talking to younger kids. I've seen them. Can I just encourage you with this? I don't care how old you've been. Have a good attitude. Maybe some younger people would listen to what you have to say if you weren't grumpy all the time. Okay, I'm done. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying younger people don't need to hear it. But maybe your spirit is a turnoff. Maybe it's not the conviction as much as it is the spirit. And I'm, I'm going to tone it down for this last point. I'm not going to stay on it long. But just because you've been through a lot of stuff doesn't entitle you to have a bad spirit. You know, you know what I, we have here? We have people who've lost spouses. We have people who've lost children. We have people who are sick all the time. We have people facing death. We have people going through all sorts of relationship challenges. There's so much heartache in one church family. And you know what can happen? We get the self-centered view. And because I'm going through this, I'm just allowed to be mad at the world. You know what you're doing? You're robbing yourself of people loving and encouraging you and of the grace that God can minister to you. And can I just, I'm not saying, listen, obviously, obviously, there needs to be grace and mercy given to grieve and to cope. Do we understand that? I'm not talking about having some kind of rigid, like, you better not be this way. I don't care what you, that's not what I'm talking about. But you do know that it can creep in when we go through difficulties of all kinds that we start to get resentful and just have a bad attitude about everything. Let me give you another example. Well, I had a pastor somewhere down the road that did me wrong. Well, that, I'm not the same pastor. And I understand you've got, you got to cope and you've got to work through some things, but you also have to work on your attitude as well. And I'll give you room, and we can talk and be gracious, and there will be times that I need to apologize. But don't, don't, bring, don't, don't bring the hurt that you went through and assume that every place is the same. Don't have a bad attitude just because it was bad somewhere else. Allow that God can maybe help some things to move on and, and deal with each other that way. What's outside of you should not determine what comes out of you. What should come out of you? A good spirit. Say, how do, you, how do you know what a good spirit is? You ready? Man, isn't it cool when the Bible defines it? But the fruit of the spirit. You ready? Love. Love. I mean, you just, just everybody wants to talk about love. I understand that can be misrepresented, but it's kind of in the Bible as one of the major things. Love. I don't know that I agree with you on this. Okay, we, we might need to talk about that, but love. First that. 
You better see an excellent spirit because I don't care about your position. Can I, listen, I'm all about convictions, all about standards, all about doctrinal convictions, but you better get this. None of it matters if you don't have the right spirit. It is oppressive and and enslaving and doesn't help anyone. Joy. And we got, we can't, it's okay to go through hard times. It's okay. But we don't need to be mopey people. Man, you're not mopey. You're not. I'm sure you can get feisty sometimes. You and I might have had a conversation about that at some point. (laughs) Man, joy, peace. Oh, here's a good one for a church family. Long-suffering. Well, I just don't agree with them. I don't agree with that. Okay, why don't you let God deal with people about stuff? Instead of you trying to police everybody's life about everything and before you've ever lifted a finger to try to understand what they're going through and where they're coming from, this might be a shock to you. We didn't all come from the same place. Look, I I was blessed to grow up in a Christian home. On on my dad's side, third, at least third, maybe fourth generation Christian. There are a whole lot of folks, this is way newer to them. And maybe some people have been really hurt and they got to work through some things. How about we just be long-suffering? And give God the credit that he can actually help people through things at a, different, at a different pace and way more effective than we can. Man, I was talking about this today. I am not after conformity at this church. I am after disciples at this church. What does that mean? People who follow Jesus. Yeah, long-suffering. You ready? Here's another one. Like, what's a good spirit? Gentleness. Let's be gentle. Gentleness isn't weakness. We need to be strong. Men, be strong. Ladies, be strong in the faith. But you can be gentle about it. Goodness. Faith. Meekness. Meekness. Temperance. You ready? Against such. There is no law. You make laws about speed limits, about taxes, about phones. Make laws about vaccines and masks and all sorts of things. You know what you can't make a law about? Love. Y'all need to get quiet on that. It's good. What's outside of me should not determine what comes out of me. I shouldn't just believe right. I should be right. Inspire has and close our eyes. Lord, I, I struggle at times. I don't, I don't just want to believe the right things. I want to believe them the right way. And God, I'm thankful for a church. And, and, and I talked... Lord, I I talked about a couple of people tonight. I I could talk about so many more that I'm thankful for. And I'll just, I'll say it. I'll just, Lord, I'm I'm thankful for so many people in the Royal Heirs class. I'm thankful for a lady like Peggy Cook, a lot of years and a lot of stuff. Thankful for folks like Paul and Gail Klima thankful for ladies sitting right here that I talked about tonight, like Sandy and Margarita, and and, and there's so many others. I could could keep naming names, Lord. 
got a lot of years and a lot of stuff. And then, Father, tonight there are, there are young families that they may not have a lot of years, but they've dealt with a lot of stuff. And, and even though their life may have only spanned a few decades, there's been enough heartache and challenge within those decades to sometimes fill up an entire life. And the danger as the children of God is that we can allow the circumstances that we face to affect the spirit that we have. And God, the truth is, I think every child of God can struggle with this. We can struggle with it over small things, and we can certainly struggle with it over big things. And and tonight, Lord, I'm, I'm not trying to be ugly in any way. I preached with intensity, but the desire is to help. God, I want to help your people. No, no, that's not right. I want you to help your people. And whether it's a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night, if we're going to take the time to assemble, I want your people to be helped. And so, God, would you help us to be honest where we are struggling with our spirit? There might be some wives tonight struggling with their spirit. Might be some husbands tonight struggling with their spirit. Might be some dads, moms, might be some kids that need to be ministered to. Just struggling with their spirit. Struggling with your spirit at work. Struggling with your spirit at church. Struggling with your spirit in some area of your life. Lord, help us to understand how powerful an excellent spirit can be. And that that spirit is the manifestation of Jesus Christ. And help us to admit when we don't have an excellent spirit. Christ, in your name we pray. Amen. Now let's all stand together. Brother Nate, as you sing, if God has spoken to your heart, you respond to him. Some have come. You need to respond. Take the time. It's all right. It's good. It's dangerous if you don't. singing brother Nate respond if the Lord is dealing with you
Father, sure do thank you uh, for your love for us and thank you for the opportunity to respond to you and for your word. Lord, bless your people. Help us to, help us to have a week, the rest of the week to go well. I pray for your blessing and your help. And Lord, as we navigate life and as we live it, help us to live it, strive to live it with an excellent spirit that, that accurately represents who you are. Thank you, Jesus, for being the great God and Savior that you are. And thank you for your excellent spirit with me when I fail. God, you're so good to me. Sure do love you, and I'm thankful for your people. Pray that you would bless the night and the week. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you for being here. Let's make sure that we greet our guests tonight. And uh, as always, be a welcoming and encouraging church. Family, look forward to being here on Sunday and excited to get to continue to love and serve the Lord. Love you. See you Sunday, the Lord willing.